0: Okay, welcome back to another episode of Cap and Trade here on Twitter Spaces. We're third episode in on this season, joined by Landry Locker of 610 Sports Radio and of YouTube, The Locker Room. Landry, how you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing good. Subscribe to that YouTube, Landry Locker. Thank you.
0: See, we already got one request in, so um, Big J, just hang tight. I know you got your request. just hang tight for a bit. We'll get to it here in a little bit. So, you know, as usual, we'll be taking requests. Any questions tonight? So you can uh, go ahead and get in line, submit your request. You know, it looks like Big J dropped out, but um, you can also at the bottom right corner of the screen. There's a little chat icon. Uh, you can do that, and it'll. You can put your question in the put your question in the in the thread on the spaces, and we can uh, answer those as well. Or you can. Hit request and and speak and and ask your question or provide your thoughts or anything that you want to discuss. Go about that way. Um, other than that, you know we'll get we'll get started here. Another disappointing loss for the Texans. It was a pretty uh, pretty weak performance on the offensive front. Defense kind of held their own, holding uh, Denver down as about as long as they could. And once again, the offense just couldn't move the ball. Davis Mills seems like he's starting to regress, starting to cause a little concern amongst the fan base. And uh, you know it was just a tough game to watch. It really was. It was You, you kept thinking every time the offense came out, okay, they're going to put something together here. They're going to put something together here. And it just never happened. And I don't know what exactly is the cause for all this. I know you kind of hit on it today in your show as well. I mean, but at this point, it, all signs kind of point towards Davis Mills. I don't know what else Pep Hamilton, Pep Hamilton can do at this point. I mean, he's trying to simplify things as much as he can, split the field in half as much as he can, and I don't know if it's a function of scheme, play calling, wide receivers not getting not getting open, or if it's just Davis Mills. I mean, his footwork is regressing. He's he's uh, sensing pressure that's not there. He's all over the place with, with his accuracy and I, I just don't know what to make of it at this point.
1: It's bad. I mean, the offense has just been bad. I, I think everything you say is true. I don't think it's like a one thing or the other. Um, I just, I just don't know how it gets better because the one thing about this team that I, you know, i I think needs to be mentioned is. If you're a glass half full person, you're sitting there and you're telling yourself, "Well, nobody thought we were going to compete with the Colts, and you know nobody thought we were going to compete with the Broncos, and that's fine." But they, the Colts didn't have Darius Leonard, and the Broncos didn't have Simmons, Sertan, and Judy, uh, and you had chances to win all those games. So you've you've gotten every break possible, and you've been unable to take advantage. And, uh, it, it, it all goes down to the quarterback, like just moderate quarterback play, uh, a Brock, this team's at least one Oh and one with Brian Hoyer. And they, they might have the same record with Brock Osweiler. The quarterback's been bad. It's the bar at this point, like with, with how you want Mills to play, um, it was, Oh, he's playing good, but he's got to be great. Now it's, he's playing really bad. He's got to be. You know, just okay, uh, and and you don't get those opportunities back, and they've they've dropped that they've they've they they've dropped the ball big time in the first two games. Uh, it's that's just the reality of the situation.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's multiple fronts, like you said, and it them have not having Sertan after early in the game and Jeff Duty to the game really gave the team a chance to to get this win and they could very easily be 2 and 0 at this point could you know and obviously they're not but both of these games were winnable. The Colts by all accounts, especially after this past weekend are just not a very good football team at least not right now. And it looks like the AFC South is going to kind of be wide open for the rest of the year. Looks like it might be one of the worst divisions once again, but speaking on Davis Mills regret uh specifically yeah, I shared a I shared a tweet in the uh the spaces here is one that I kind of put did a little thread on Monday and just looking at some some stats to try to paint a little picture and he you know, here this one he was only he was only under pressure on 28% of his dropbacks. And that's where I'm kind of getting at is I mean, his average time to throw is like the seventh fastest in the league right now and which correlates with why he's not under pressure 28%, but I just wonder: is that a function? Is he not even getting through his reads? Is he just keying in on the first player, the first read, and trying to force the ball in? I just, it. I'm glad that his time to throw. Number is that low, but it's just not producing any, any offense, any, any kind of meaningful move down the field with that kind of time to throw numbers. So, he's his accuracy is all over the place. His p- completion percentage in the in the ten to nineteen yard range is way down compared to last year, his 20, 20 yard plus throwing percentage is way down compared to last year. So it's just, I, I really don't know what it is. And he's starting to get that happy feet thing again. Like he, he had towards the end of last year, he was still, you know, he was still playing well, but he started getting a little happy feet and it was on full display this past Sunday. I mean, you saw him making jump passes and it, his footwork gets very, very shaky He doesn't throw off his back foot all the time, which I think leads to why the ball is selling on him. I think it's a combination of the footwork. And then he's gotten so worried with the receivers not getting open that he's trying to put the ball in a place where he's not going to get an interception, but it's also making it into a spot where it's very, very difficult to catch. And that's just leading to very, very poor accuracy numbers. And I don't know what the, what the, what to do with what the team does with him how they get him out of this hole he you know luckily he's going against a, a probably a defense that might might be one of the worst in the league especially for the run defense point. but chicago is going to be about his only chance to get the confidence back because after that game the defenses start stacking up and start getting a little more difficult but I don't know what the team's going to do at this point, but they've got to figure out something because what they're doing right now with him is just not working at all.
1: I mean, it's kind of
0: tough with the offense.
1: Uh, And I agree with you on the Chicago defense, although Iberflues does know Mills pretty well. Uh, And, and, you know, he's studied his tendencies in the past, so I'm sure he has, like, some sort of, you know, preconceived notion about how it's going to go. But, like, as far as the offense goes, Maybe you run the ball better with Pierce um, and Kenyon green, you know, emerges as a really, really good run blocker uh, and you can run the ball a little bit better, Uh, but they just don't have, they just don't have very many like playmakers. Like they didn't, they, they didn't really address the offensive skill position guys that much for the most part this season. Pierce, that's a good fourth-round pick. I, I like what Pierce is. In, in, a, in the right situation, in the right running back room, you at least have a guy who can spell Pierce. I mean, I, I hear people saying, you know, Pierce should get the ball more. Pierce should get the ball more. You sure he can do that? Like, and I, I'm not even saying that as an insult. I'm just saying, like, a guy had double-digit carry seven times at Florida, and you want to give him the ball 25 times? Like, what? what I, I just don't know how that's realistic. And – the wide receiver position, it it's probably the worst wide receiver room uh that I can remember following this team. I, I I can't remember a worst uh wide receiver room if you go one to five. And it's to the point where we're clamoring for, oh gosh, you know, Johnson's gonna come save the day or Dorset. Why wasn't Dorset active? Think about what you're saying. Like you're 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 calling for uh, a guy who got cut from Tampa Bay and a first round got pick who's been around the league for a while to come like save the day at receiver it, it's really just it's it's really really bad uh skill position wise and a lot of it there's nothing you could do about it because there's not a lot of you know there's just not there wasn't a lot of like assets to be able to go out there and like fix the wide receiver situation so I don't even fault that but it would be nice to have a running back who was like maybe a threat to catch the ball at the backfield uh, or, or who could maybe, you know, give you 10 carries uh, in a game like the game in Denver, like Melvin Gordon did for the Broncos. Uh, I mean, that's that's the thing that I don't understand. And, and that at this point, they have two running backs that they trust to play. One of them, it's probably better off if he if he doesn't carry the ball. And the other one is, is basically on spe- is a special teams guy that they don't even put out there. So it would, it would have just been nice if they would have taken the running back position a little bit more serious because I think it would be able to mask a lot of the stuff that hasn't really improved that quite frankly, I don't think they could have done anything about.
0: Yeah. I'm with you on that. And it's, I I get the whole, like you were saying, the whole notion of Pierce needs the ball more, but he's going to need some breaks and. He's going to need to come off the field time from time and time from here and there. And Rexburg, like you said, is not the the one you want backfilling that position. So I don't know where what the issue is with putting Darre out there. I mean, he's I he's. I mean, he was he, the second he, best back in preseason. Yeah, that's really what I was going to say. You know, and this team obviously Lovey loves that yards per carry number. And Darre had very good yards per carry number in preseason. And, you know, take that with a grain of salt because it's preseason, but the numbers are what they are. And I don't understand why he doesn't come in, even if it's for four or five carries, just to kind of spell Pierce for a little bit because he's a young guy, he's he's hungry, and he's ready to go. But, my, you know, giving him this many touches for the extent, extent of the season, just the, not sure if that's going to be the best game plan. But
1: The frustrating thing for me is – they and, and, and look if they beat Chicago and, and there's a column up on SportsRadio610.com uh, that you can read uh, if they beat Chicago there's a chance I mean they could lose to the Chargers and easily be in first place so it's not all it's not all negative like they they can get the opportunity I mean they could be they could be one two and one and very strong chance that they're in first place especially if you look at all who all the other teams are playing but the most frustrating thing for me is and I like Casario and I like Lovey, but they say all these right things, and they sit there and they talk about building a team, and they sit there and talk about competition, and they sit there and talk about we got to practice every day, and they sit there and say, you got to be dependable, you got to be reliable. It seems to me kind of like the preseason didn't mean crap to them, which is which is weird for a team that's in the situation they're in. Like, Rex Burkhead didn't show you anything in the preseason that made you think, okay, this guy, he, he needs 19 touches week one. We got to make that happen. It was so bad that Lovey was calling him out, uh, whoever, whether it was Pepper Casario, uh, and Pierce immediately got more touches. Uh, so what Dari did didn't matter. He wasn't even worthy of a carry. It was all Burkhead, and it was more Burkhead than Pierce. Justin Britt sucked last year. Like I don't, I don't even know why they brought him back. And he didn't even play a snap in the preseason. And they just felt like it was okay to throw him out there week one. If Justin Britt doesn't play week one, they're one and one right now. Like, I feel confident in saying that. I, I actually feel pretty comfortable saying if Justin Britt doesn't play week, uh, week one, they're a one and one football team. And best of luck to him dealing with whatever he's dealing with. But my point is, preseason should matter to them more than anyone. Or more than anything. And... It just does it doesn't seem to have meant very much to them like it, it's it, which is weird they're, they're acting almost like you know when it comes to Rex Burkhead and Justin Britt that it's you know freaking Jason Kelsey and uh, Jonathan Taylor or something like that and, and you don't need to worry about it and, it, and it's all good and, and that's not the case and that's what's frustrating to me you can't put the ball in 33's chest once or twice uh, a couple times you got him out there running around on special teams like give him a shot. I mean, there should no no one else carried the ball other than Damian Pierce in Denver. That's a disgrace. And if and if you're in a position to where that's appropriate, then then that's on you for for not addressing something that easily could have been addressed.
0: Yeah, I, and it
1: still can be. That's the other thing. Like you can you can go bar, you can go shopping on the streets right now and find a running back that can give you five carries.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Darius is not the one you trust, then yeah, you you hit up the practice squads. You know, we don't have, there's no protections this year. So it, you you can easily sign a player off and off the practice squad elsewhere. And like I said, I know after the first week where everybody is clamoring because Pierce didn't get to touch the ball this week, he touched the ball a ton and we're kind of voicing concerns on that. So I don't want to seem contradictory, but they need to find a semblance of some balance in the running back carries and, that shouldn't really include Rex Burkhead is pretty much where I'm at on it. And
1: that's the one thing. And that's the one thing that Casario did in new England that I wish he did here. Yeah. Like they would find, they would find ways to use other running backs that weren't like my, uh, elite assets like you would have a james white you would have a danny woodhead uh ben jarvis green ellis when he was young uh they drafted michelle in the first round which i know is like a, a different example like they had all these running backs that they use different ways i think sometimes they had four active and they were using every single one of them and 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 very ever so often was the guy like someone that you use like an elite asset on like sony michelle they drafted in the first round
0: damien uh, but yep.
1: Damian Harris was the pick after the water polo tight end. Like they, they, I mean, they, 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 they just, they just kept that revolving door of running backs, but for whatever reason, they're not doing it here. And it's something that is so simple to do. It is so easy and they're not doing it. And the worst part about it is they're going up there and saying we want to run the football. Bullshit. Excuse me. I I stopped myself. You don't want (laughs) to run the football. Like you don't, you, if, if, if you wanted to run the football, you wouldn't have just kept Rex Burkhead around here and made him by far and away your number two running back. So don't tell me you want to run the football. You don't want to run the football. You can say you want to, but it's not. It's like the guy who sits on his butt all day watching TV and goes around town telling people he wants to be an entrepreneur. No, you want to be a couch potato bum. Like, you don't want to run the ball. So, so, so don't don't tell me that when you got 28 out there is by far your second best back.
0: Hey, Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and speaking of Justin Britt, so he got put on the uh, reserve non-football illness which nobody other than the team knows what's really going on here. If it's just personal reasons and football reasons and mulling retirement, I'm kind of surprised that they were able to get away with using the the illness designation on this one unless there's something illness-related involved, so but he obviously, regardless he's going to be out for 4 weeks so the team's going to give him ample amount of time to make up his mind but it seems like at this point if you've missed this much practice and the team has put you on the NFI reserve he's not coming back it's it, he might be on the NFI reserve for the rest of the year as far as i'm concerned so you know they promoted Jimmy Morrissey today Scott Quesenberry is going to be your starting going forward is he a great center no, is he better than Justin Britt? Based on this past weekend, yes, and you know I'm I'm fine with that. He's a uh, he's a low cost player, and he's got plenty of veteran. He's been in the league for what four or five years now. Been on a few teams, but he held his own against Denver. Seemed to work well with uh, with Cannon and, and uh, Kenyon Green. So I'm excited, you know, with that going forward. And but Justin Britt, uh, like you said, we wish him well. I hope he figures out what he wants and and can move on with his life whichever direction he decides to go I'll be kind of curious uh, he did have a full guaranteed salary this year <laughs> but even even with going on NFI the team is not obligated to pay now
1: who did, who did they outbid on that by the way
0: oh I'm sure they got outbid by themselves.
1: Yeah, like who who else was was just waiting to give Justin Britt four and a half million dollars fully guaranteed?
0: Yeah, I don't. There was a few. I mean, you're few... the cap guy.
1: You're the cap guy that like you get mad if they spend an extra five dollars. Yeah, like is that not weird to you?
0: <laughs> it is. Between that one and like the Reeves Maben who got guaranteed money this year and next year, some of the the veteran contracts were a little aggressive. It was almost kind of like, yeah, we'll give you the Aaron key because you know we'll know you're you're going to be here all year, and then you got this type of situation pop up. So, but we'll see what happens. I, I, you know, in the past, the team has always been good about paying their players when on NFI. They, you know, David Questberry, they paid him all through his when he was out on cancer treatments. So we'll see if Houston continues to uh, pay Brit's salary. I, I suspect they will, but. You know, they are a little tight on the cap, so we'll see. Maybe they they might renegotiate his salary rate and say, we'll just keep you on reserve for the rest of the year and, and here's what we'll pay you. So we'll see what happens with that. But I, I'd be shocked if he comes back. I don't see there's any way that he's coming back based on his actions. And plus, you can't miss what now, two weeks of practice and then another four weeks and then just be like, okay, I'm good. I'm ready to go. And just reinsert him back into the lineup. he would have
1: he to, had more veteran days than anyone in camp right so
0: <laughs> if he did come back just uh, just say as a, a hypothetical if he did come back, he certainly wouldn't be starting so he would just be a very expensive backup center uh, sitting on the sidelines so but it it doesn't make any sense for him to come back at this point so you know w- well wishes to him and hope hope the best and and uh, you know hope he figures his way out on uh, what he's dealing with. So, moving on from that, the man that would be right next to him, Kenyon Green. He had a good, I thought he had a pretty solid solid afternoon. Um, you know, PFF had a pretty weak grade on him. I think it was in the mid 50s, something like that. And I just didn't see that. I went back. I I didn't watch the all 22. I watched it wasn't even available yet. I think it finally came available today. I watched the condensed version and he had i think one one miss one miss blocking assignment in the first half it was a safety on a blitz who spun move on him and and got around him real quick he had a little bit of a rough third quarter he had three or four missed blocks and then he had one tackle that shed him pretty easily to get to the running back but for the most part he did very well he did very well. he did much better in pass protection this week than he has been previously so that part was exciting to see and then his run blocking is continuing to do well. There was actually two or three runs where Pierce just completely missed a wide open hole. And I don't understand that. I don't, Hopefully his vision gets a little bit better. There was one in like the second quarter. It was a kind of a draw play. Mills was in shotgun and handed it off to, to Pierce and green and, Questenberry doubled up on the on the defensive tackle and Tunsil shielded his guy out and it was just massive like three or four wide hole, three or four wide yard wide hole and Pierce just stayed right behind Green and ended up only being like a two yard run and he had just all kinds of open field in front of him. So Pierce is still missing some of his his vision, but back to Kenyon Green, I mean, uh, this is one of the times, you know, as Seth Seth will always say that take a grain of salt with the PFF grades and I've always. I've always agreed with that, and this is one of those times where just the grade did not align with align with the eye test. You have any thoughts on Mister Kenyon Green?
1: Yeah, the PFF sucks at grading linemen. Um, that's that's one of their biggest flaws. They're very bad at, gra- at grading linemen. Uh, you got to take that with a grain of so salt. I thought he was good. I thought he was really good. I think there's a, I think there's a lot there, uh, and and I think you know if you if you're looking for you know ways for the offense to get out of their funk. Just him turning into an elite run blocker uh, is one of uh, one of the most realistic sources of hope. And I'm I'm glad that he's on the field. I'm glad he's you know already he's established himself as a starting guard. Uh, and I thought he was good.
0: Ooh, had the mute button on. Uh, just a reminder for folks: if you wanna get a request in to speak and ask a question Just hit the mic button on the bottom left of the screen. If you'd rather not talk and you'd rather just submit a question by text on the bottom right hand corner by the little scissors, there's a little chat icon. You can click that and, and post your question there and we'll be happy to answer it to the best of our ability. So we'll kind of flip to the other side of the field, the defense Uh, they did. They did well as a whole, you know, it, the off the other side of the offense you know the denver offense was missing Jer- uh, judy but for the most part other than Derek stingley had his uh welcome to the nfl moment with he was shadowing sutton all day long so it was finally the first time that we've we've gotten to see stingley follow somebody throughout the whole game versus staying on his side of the field like he did in the indianapolis game and i mean he had some he had some rough ones and and Sutton is a going to happen. Yeah, it's rough. Happen. Yeah, Sutton's a very, very good wide receiver. He's a very big guy, and he's gonna he got his plays on Stingley, and that was just his welcome to NFL moment. And he's he's learning. He's a rookie. We got to remember that and think of it like at the uh, the fade, the fade in the end zone um, when they threw it to Sutton, and he ended up having his second foot landed out of bounds when he caught it. They threw it back at Sutton, back at Stingley with the with the end zone fader out. And it's almost like Stingley learned from the first one, bodied up on Sutton, didn't give him any space, got his hand in the ball and and deflected it. So that's the the kind of things that you want to see. Like, hey, I just got beat. They run it at him again, and he completely shuts it down. So stuff like that is what makes me excited for him, that he's able to purge the last play from his memory, move on to the next play, learn from it, And improve and make the play on the next run. So that was exciting to see. But yeah, like you said, he's gonna be shadowing number ones all year long, and he's gonna run into some very, very good wide receivers. And as we know, it's very, very difficult to be a defensive back in this league nowadays. So he's gonna have some tough ones. He had some good moments with Sutton, but had some had some ones where he just got flat out beat. And like you said, that's gonna happen. I don't know what happened with Jerry Hughes, he kind of disappeared after we saw uh, the Fountain of Youth after, in the Indy game. Tackles are a little bit better in Denver than they, than they were with Indianapolis. And uh, you know, we saw Grenard get his first sack of the game, so that was good. See him back in there. And old Kurt Heinisch had himself a good game. He was in there. I think on, he was only in there for about 15, 18 snaps, but on like 11 of his pass uh, past snaps, he had two pressures. So it was very excited to see him continue to carry over what we saw in the preseason over into the regular season, and uh, you know Rasheem Green returned back, and that was exciting to see because he is a much bigger player than than Okoronkwo, and Okoronkwo we saw would get lost in the shuffle, especially on run plays against Indy. So, man, Green, he's
1: playing in rollerblades.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, but it's good to see Green back in there. He was holding his own run defense was very well to his side of the field. So overall, you know, we saw Kirksey have the interception, just kind of t- took the ball away, said it was mine. So overall, I was very pleased with with the defense and what they put out there on the field.
1: I think the DBs have been as good as you could have expected, uh, given that we we knew that the the rookie corner was going to go through uh, some growing pains. You laid it out perfectly. I think Steven Nelson's been really good, like really good. That play on Judy – uh, when Judy got hurt, the the trick play, um, I think we can all say in confidence that the last couple of years that trick play ends up maybe a touchdown, probably like a 30-yard gain because the DBs would have bit. Uh, he broke it up. Nelson's been good. Uh, the D-line, look, I, I, I don't think you can expect too much from them, but they've given you everything that you can expect. Uh, the interception by Kirksey should have been a game-changer. Uh, that should have been one of those where we look at and the offense immediately responds and goes down there and scores. And we're talking about, you know, a double digit ball game, uh, later, late in the game. Uh, so I think the defense has been good. I was very impressed with, uh, Stingley's just battling with, with Sutton. Again, he's going to struggle. Uh, and, and for the most part, I think the defense has been good. Although I do think that, and, and again, this is just the gray area. Um, I do think they've gotten some breaks uh, that 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 they had nothing to do with um, early on as well. Uh, so much like Chicago in their offense, I think there's a gray area with that. Uh, given the fact that they've played two of the best defenses in the NFL, and one of them was in a basically a uh, a monsoon in uh, against San Francisco, I think there's kind of like some gray areas with their offense. I think there's kind of some gray areas with the Texans' defense in that you had the Colts receivers drop a couple of touchdowns. Uh, you had them run a Wildcat with Naheem Hines for whatever reason. Uh, and then you had Nathaniel Hackett being Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, at one point, they ran, a, they, they ran a damn speed option with Beck. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted that to happen at the University of Texas. Tom Herman wouldn't have done that. He never did that. Uh, so I, I do think there's a gray area, but I, but I am pleased with what I've seen so far.
0: Yeah, the gray, yeah, they've gotten a little few breaks like you mentioned and the gray area is definitely going to be their run defense. Right now they're probably the second worst run defense in the league and uh they're going against the the team who's worse than them this week. So we might see a lot of uh a lot of rushing this week between both sides considering that uh the ru- the rushing defense on both sides of the field this coming Sunday going to be pretty bad. So maybe it'd be a good time to have Damian Pierce in your uh, fantasy lineup this weekend. But overall, yeah, I mean, they've gotten some breaks. Steven Nelson, I think has, has been an underrated free He's agent. he has been really signing. good. Um, it's been really good. Especially at 50% of the cost of James Bradbury. And I know Bradbury's a very good cornerback as well, but I mean, for, for what they're getting out of Nelson and his, uh, and his price tag is very, very good signing. Well, Eric Murray doesn't see the field at all despite his contract. And uh, you know, Roy Lopez doesn't seem to be having quite the same quite as good of a season starting off as he did last year. He's still doing very well. He's got three pressures already this year, but him and Malik Collins are just having a little trouble holding their holding their uh their spots on the defensive line when it comes to run defense. So that's the part, and that's why you're seeing Jonathan Owens have 18 million tackles he leads the league baby leads the league yeah don't know if that's always a a good thing when your safety leads the league in tackles but
1: hey all i know is if eric murray were back there and the same thing were going on he wouldn't lead the league in tackles
0: i feel safe in saying that fair that's that's good yeah i i can go i can i can jive with that and then um but other than that i mean i it It makes, you know, I think we all kind of were hoping that this defense would just at least be middle of the pack good type of defense. And I think that's about where about where we're seeing. I don't I don't think there's
1: Eh, you think that's going to happen.
0: I mean, they're on that path right now. They're 16th in DVOA when it comes to overall defense. So there you go. I think I think it's. Safe. I
1: love when you I love when you go DVOA, man. You and Mike Meltzer love that DVOA.
0: Well, let's let's see what it's the best.
1: It's the best measurement. I agree. I'm just I just like it.
0: PFF. If we just want to go by grading, did you see Jacoby Brissett's a top ten DVOA QB? No, I had not seen that. <laughs>
1: He's like eighth in the league in DVOA.
0: So if you look at defensive grading overall, PFF has Houston at twenty eighth. So. Mm. Yeah. I like the DVOA better. There you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I think it if they can continue on the path that they're going on and just maintain that, and get some help.
1: I mean, that's really it. Get yeah. some help.
0: Yeah. the The back end of the defense still 100. You know, other than Stingley giving us all a little scare and coming out for three plays, the back end of the defense once again is uh hundred percent snapping it out there. So. You
1: got Mills has to have a feel. I think it all goes back to Mills, too, where against Indianapolis, uh, when they did stop him on the goal line on that Hines Wildcat mm-hmm. uh, after the Pierce touchdown, it, it did seem like Mills kind of felt that, you know, the momentum was kind of coming on their side. And instead of being down 10 they were down 3 0. And that was where he really started to look good for three quarters. Uh, and he's going to have to have that type of feel. Like when Kirksey gets that interception, that would have been a nice time for mills to, you know, just go out there and cook. Uh, and that, that's, that's really where they just got to, they, they've got to take advantage of the opportunities because they're, they're going to, the, you watch Buffalo play and Buffalo can have like three WTF plays and still win by 20. The Texans don't have that luxury. You got to take advantage of everything. Uh, you can't, you, you don't have the margin for error and you got to have some sort of feel and it goes back to the offense. The defense is going to need a little bit of help.
0: Yeah, and they points off turnovers considering the the how important turnovers is to this defense and year to year turnover ability is is very very unstable. So I don't think anybody is expecting the Texans that continue on with the turnover ratio that they had last year but i mean they're they're still getting it done this year but like you said the offense has got to turn those into points you cannot nothing and the stat nerds just hate momentum but nothing kills momentum than getting a turnover having good field position and then going three and out right behind it that is just a St-
1: stat nerds stat nerds need to need, need to go play with their pocket protector or something like that. If they don't understand momentum in a football game, like, well, come on. A, you
0: just can't measure it. I think
1: <laughs> no, you, you watch it. You can tell like yeah. when, when, when it, when you get, when you get a goal line stand, that's momentum. When when there's a big punt return, that's momentum. When you have a huge turnover, that's momentum. It's, it's a whole swing. It's a thing in football. These stat nerds need to get out of the damn basement and go, go watch a damn football game every once in a while. And I know I might be talking to you, Cap, and I'm talking to you too.
0: Yeah, yeah, you are a little bit, but I, I get out and watch the games. You see me there? No, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Golly, Sunday's a must-win, right? I mean, it has to be. Yeah, it's point.
1: it's it's the. Def- I mean, it's it's uh, again. Let, let me just lay this out because okay. it's on SportsRadio610.com, and tell me what on the, what on that I'm about to list is unrealistic. Uh, Texans beat the Bears, so let's give them a dub. It's a three-point line. Let's give them a dub. There you go. So you're now – you're you're one, one, and one. The Titans are hosting the Raiders. They don't have Taylor Lewan. The Raiders are kind of ticked, and the Raiders I think are a three-point favorite or a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Is it far-fetched to say that the Raiders can beat the Titans?
0: Oh, right. And that's, I wouldn't even say that's far-fetched. I think it's a very yeah. real opportunity – yeah. And the team is not getting anything out of Derrick Henry right now, and Tannehill looks lost. I mean, yeah. Malik Willis yeah. came in this last time around, so
1: and they have no they have no AJ Brown. Um they lost Harold Landry, so Las Vegas beats them. Kansas City's going to Indianapolis. Does it look like Indianapolis can beat Kansas City to you?
0: <laughs> Negative. Yeah. I mean, and, and it could
1: happen, but it but it doesn't look that way. Uh the Jags are going to the Chargers uh that they're they're a seven point dog I, I do think that the the jags are good uh herbert's banged up we'll see how that you know sometimes those you know day-to-day rib injuries they kind of they kind of linger and it becomes kind of a problem and you see him holding his rib for a while but we'll just go ahead and give the chargers that one so that would put the titans at zero and three the colts at one uh at oh two and one And that would put the Jags at one and two. And that would put the Texans ahead of all of them in the standings at one, one, and one. The next week, the Colts play the Titans. Who knows what happens there? Worst case scenario, assuming that the Texans lose to the Chargers, and we'll go ahead and chalk that down in week four as a loss. Worst case scenario, the Colts are tied with you at one, two, and one. Best case scenario, the Colts lose. They fall to three and one. And then the Titans go to one and three. Jags uh, that week are in Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is really good. I, I, I hate saying it. I think Philadelphia is an effing good team. Uh, they've addressed all their issues. They're playing good. So they lose to Philadelphia, and you're looking at the Texans with only a win over the Bears in first place, heading into a Week Five matchup against the Jags. This is a must-win. You you have to win this game. You first of all you have to you have to win games that you have a puncher's chance to win and you haven't taken advantage of those uh, because you didn't take advantage of Denver. You didn't take advantage of Indy. It makes it even more. This is a must win. They have to win this game and it is a golden opportunity, golden opportunity, one, two and one division lead heading into week five. Sign me up.
0: Hey, I'm on board with that. We'll see if it, see if it works out that way. But yeah, I mean, this is, this has to be, I think you lay that out perfectly why this is a must win. And in, even absent all those things, the team just needs to get get some positivity, get some get a winning game, get something to build off of. This uh st- the first three quarters of the Indianapolis game were very good for this team and then the last five quarters has been very very, well, six quarters very very bad football. So they just need to get things turned around absent of all the record things getting the win and getting something to build off of having a game that you play well for four quarters, all three phases of the game. I'm not seeing you need to be dominant, you, but we, it doesn't need to be one of the fluky wins either. We just, the team really needs to have a good solid where you just, you manage the game very well and you come out with a win very comfortably and build off of that. So that I think is, is very important at this, at this stage of the thing. So, with that, no request at the moment. What's this? What's this nonsense? We're, we're going to go off football subject for a minute. What's this nonsense I hear with your uh, game plan of if you had caught Aaron Judge's ball and how you would get it signed and and it's make the best a lot game plan ever.
1: Explain, explain
0: this ever. to me again. I caught bits and pieces of it.
1: So if if I caught Aaron Judge's record-setting home run ball, I would take the ball, leave the stadium before batting practice, players usually sign autographs and it's usually like one of three games. Like Aaron judge will sign autographs. One of three games. I would get, I would, I would hire a kid for $2,000 to go get the ball signed by Aaron judge unknowingly. Cause it is marked and it's authenticated, but he doesn't know that he's just going to be signing baseballs. And I would have Aaron judge sign the baseball unknowingly and then I would auction it off.
0: How, how How is it authenticated already if you've gotten it? They mark it.
1: They mark it. They mark the balls like by
0: timestamp and
1: all that. If you ever go to a baseball game and you sit behind... Uh...
0: Yeah, I've seen my, Mike Acosta doing it, but I thought... Yeah. But that's balls that are taken out of the game that are... That are marked, right?
1: No, when they're when they're chasing history, they mark them before. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so there's so, so they can authenticate it. So, oh, okay. There's like a yeah, so there's like a sense. number, and they know what number's going out. So it's not. It, it would be the re- it's the real deal, and then I would just get it signed unknowingly, and then I'm auctioning it off.
0: <laughs> that is a slime ball move. I love it. Yeah, and that's where that
1: slime ball move is worth about seven figures if it's the last one that he hits in the season.
0: Man. It's- 61 or 62 is going to be worth close to a million. Uh, the one that's worth the most
1: is the final one he hits of the season.
0: Um okay. Regardless. Yeah. That. Okay. So even if he estimate. gets to 64 or 65, it's the last one that's going to be the biggest one. Yeah.
1: The last one. Cause that'll be the mark. That'll be the new uh,
0: 60, 61.
1: And now it'll be that. So yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Taylor has a question. We'll send him some speaking rights.
2: hey guys can you hear me yeah what's going on man oh not too much just happy the uh the cap and trade things back <laughs> it's me been too good. yeah thank you <laughs> um so so far first three picks have looked pretty good contributors nick's done a great job drafting but what do you th- like he hasn't done such a great job with free agency besides steven nelson thing so what do you think he needs to get better at with with you know bringing in some free agents uh, and is it possibly because houston's just at this point a bottom feeder team or do you think if say they you know have a seven, eight, and one record at the end of the year or something like that they can start attracting a little bit more uh a little bit more talent to the uh to the team
0: yeah i think on free agency he's had his misses we've seen that um and it at the end of the day, free agency is a major crapshoot. You're paying market value in some cases over market value for a player that was not wanted back by their previous team. So it's, I think I, I did a, a newsletter on this, I think back in February or March, uh, it's cap and trade newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go ahead on cap, uh, cap and trade dot sub stack.com. I'll, uh, I don't do them on any scheduled interval. It's just whenever I get a, a good topic in my head, I'll write up a newsletter. And so I did a kind of just a quick glance at free agent return value based on on OTC's uh, measurement numbers. So we have a valuation tool that is built off of I think PFF grading, snap counts, a couple other metrics that puts a dollar figure value on a player for their performance. So you know I took what teams were spending on free agents and looked at the return value. I think I just did one year. I know that's a very, very small sample size, but I think if I recall, I think four, maybe three or four teams ended up with positive return total on free agent spending. When looking at the valuation, every other team was in the negatives. So free agency is a total crap shoot And I'm not trying to, give a pass to to Nick on his free agent signings, but it's very difficult to to get equitable value. It's not very often you're gonna find a Jonathan Joseph type free agent signing that does well and does well for a long time. Most majority of free agents are in one year and out the next. But Steven Nelson has been a good good signing thus far. We'll see if it continues that way. But there's there's definitely The notion of a Texans tax out there, I think, amongst the players, at least until the team starts putting together a little more, a little better season, starts having a better foundation. I think it's just very difficult to attract free agents in that kind of climate when you're coming off three and four or you know four win seasons. You got the the quarterback issue that the team was going through. So I think when you put together all those factors, it was the turnover at the head coach position, all the SI articles about different people in the organization so i think all of those things put together made it quite difficult to attract some free agents and not every I mean, some of them came in just because that's what the money was and that's probably why Nick had to overpay a little bit on some free agents so hopefully with having more more young players on the roster more draft picks and maybe a better foundation to build off of then maybe that'll attract a little bit different, different type of free agent player for Nick. And he's always he, these past two years, he's spent a ton of money on the middle of the roster. A lot of guaranteed money on the middle of the roster. This is a very flat cap structure team-wise. It's not very it's not top heavy like you see across the league, where you've got four or five, six players that account for 60% of your salary cap. This one is completely different, where it's very middle of the class heavy. So I don't know once the team, let's just say hypothetically, they draft another quarterback in the first round and that's the quarterback that they're going to try to build around and he's a very low cost player. If that's going to give Casario the ability to spend a little more money in free agency on two or three players versus the signing of 25 free agents at lower price it's just gonna. We'll have to see what his mentality is for it next year. But I think all those factors put together just makes it. It made it difficult to get some of the free agents, probably that they really wanted to, to bring in. I mean, they really wanted to bring in James Bradbury. There was some cost issues, and I'm not entirely sure he even wanted to come here at that point. So, luckily, they ended up with Steven Nelson as their as their backup plan, and that's working out great. But I think that speaks to the to the to the tax of coming to the Texans at this point in time. Hopefully that'll change in the coming years.
1: They don't have any bread right now, you know, and I mean the
0: last year it was
1: bringing in a lot of vets. There was a youth movement this year. So I think it's a year to year plan. I don't think it's anything philosophical when they have money to uh, use. I think they're going to use it a lot more wisely. So I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really think much of it. My, my bigger concern uh, at this point, more so than free agency, just because the assets have been limited is, you know, bringing back guys after you see them play. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, uh, and I hate to keep going back to these guys, but it, well, hell, I I could make an even bigger list. Like, did did you really need to bring back Justin Britt? No. Did you have to bring back Rex Burkhead? Uh, no. Did you need to bring back uh, Chris Conley? Uh, no. Like, that's, that's my bigger problem is I'm hoping that that's something that, they stop doing it. Maybe they just want those guys here for the, for the moment being, but once he has free agent money, he's going to spend the money, but I just hope that they do a better job of at least, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is like, not, not overvaluing stuff uh, over actual on-field performance, uh, or maybe just not, not evaluating things the right way. That that's my bigger concern. Because some of these guys that are coming back, uh, it just seems like maybe they uh, the coaches like them for other reasons, and, and I'm I'm hoping that kind of changes.
0: Yeah, they, there's a there's you mentioned some good some good examples, and the other one, like I mentioned earlier, with Reeves Maven, I just didn't understand that contract. He's basically been relegated to to special teams for somebody who has a pretty large guarantee carrying into next year, and so. And they wanted him, I think, two years ago. So it kind of makes you wonder. Two years later, two two years older, and you're still still valuing him at a certain number. So we'll see. Hopefully, kind of we'll, we'll get that cleaned up a little bit. I think, like I mentioned, free agency is just difficult to begin with. So you know, if you if you're interested in that, go back to to the newsletter and uh, take a look at it and see if that's uh, see if that's helps break it down of why I consider free agency such a crap And I don't think really teams should be diving into it that hard, but when you've got to fill out this type of roster this much, you're going to have to sign some free agents. So hopefully I think this will continue on next year, probably just not as much of a quantity number. Hopefully that's the case. It's, you know, with Nick, with this one year mentality, year to year, it's not, it's new for me because Rick Smith was always a three year guy, Chris Olson and Rick Smith. They always preached it. three year windows, three year windows, and so that was something that I kind of I had always just built my mentality around it is looking out three years. That's why like whenever I have my my personal uh, cap management book, it's all got a three year lookout everywhere. So, but Casario is very much into the one year lookouts. Nothing nothing really more beyond that. That's why every single contract seems to be one to two year deals. So, it's it's a good question, Taylor. I, I yeah. appreciate it. Um, you got anything else, nope. man?
2: Um, what what's a successful season look like to you guys? Is it a record? Is it development rookies? Is it a roster turn at the end of the year? Like that kind of stuff.
1: It's a win over Chicago right now. <laughs> I mean, honest, honestly, like there's. Cause there's such, there's so many, there's so many answers to that. Like I don't have like a tangible, this is what it is. You gotta be, it's it's a win over Chicago period. Like you're right there in the mix. The first, whatever, quarter of the season plus one, uh, a win over Chicago, that's success. It it could get really ugly if they don't win that. So that's how I'd answer that. Win over the bears.
0: Yeah, I I can go with that. I think I'll I'll go ahead and peek ahead and, just kinda of say my my thought on it is if we wanted to put a, a number to it or something like that. I don't say specific win total, but being at least like sniffing contention of the playoffs with when there's four or five games left in the season, you know, if when they put those graphics up on the TV where it says teams in contention that they may be one or two games under five hundred, if they're if they're in that area showing reasonable improvement over last year's work, then I think that would be pretty close to a success. I just, I'm more interested in see what the, te- what the organization thinks of Lovey Smith in the long term. You know, if he's, it, it's starting to, I don't know it, Landry, you may be able to pick on this a little bit more at all. I don't know that his, he really has an act, but it almost, I don't know if it's wearing thin on some of the, some of the fan base or some of the media, but it's just, uh, I don't know. He's starting to get a little more, little more touchy with pressers and things like that. And I mean, I love. He seems like a great guy, a great coach. But I just wonder what the organization's going to think of him long term after this year. Say they come out of the season with six or seven wins. It's, if they come out with six or seven wins, I assume he'd be back the following year. But just long term outlook on him as a coach and, and his ability to, to adjust to a modern football game. i guess landry doesn't really have anything to say on that all right taylor i appreciate it man
1: no i feel you i like i said just a a win against chicago is just all i all
0: i really know i don't i don't have any like That's all you want for christmas
1: i mean that's all i want for my sanity i mean like i mean if if you stole one of the first you know couple we wouldn't be having this conversation but yeah you got to be chicago have to
0: so, I did get one question earlier today. Somebody from the across the pond. Let me read this real quick. See, some of the reaction to Denver has been really interesting. Do you think it's down to people overhyping the Texans and getting too excited in the offseason, or do you think there's genuine underperformance going on? Not quite quite understand the drama around Mills. So I mean he's basically it sounds like he's just asking our did we get it did we get too excited in the off season leading up and now we're getting a reality check or is this a true underperformance or is this more expect meeting expectations type thing? What do you think? Um say that again? Like I, I don't know. So did 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 we did the fans did Did the fan base get overhyped raising expectations too much and the team is just not meeting them? Or is this strictly a major under... You know, saying that this is a a major underperformance for what what the expectations were versus...
1: What were the the expectations? uh,
0: He didn't really specify in the question. He sent it to me earlier today. It just makes it sound like fans were, in his view... The fan base had much higher expectations and now that the team has started out this bad, the team a lot of the fan base is already I wouldn't say belling, but I mean
1: if you're one if you're one, one and one from three, you've I think you've surpassed expectations. If we're just looking bottom line, like yes, you could say there's opportunities and stuff, and they had opportunities to win games, but if through three games you're one, one and one, you've surpassed expectations. Like I I don't yeah, I I don't even understand the question to be honest with you. Okay. Come on, Cap! You got to moderate better than that, man. Yeah. This is well, supposed this is, this is the Captain like, Trade Show. It's
0: like three paragraphs. The question, so.
1: Well, you should have just just thrown it thrown it away. It no, I don't
0: away. do that. I don't do that. I read all of them. Everybody's well, DMing me right some now. Some of them suck. Just throw them out. No, we're not going to do that. Well, unless it's inappropriate. Or something. So, what's the update on Christian Harris coming back in a couple of weeks? Maybe so he's eligible to return. To the active roster after four games, he can start. maybe he
1: can play running back. He played running back in high school. Maybe they can put him at running back. He's
0: got some speed.
1: I bet he's better than I, I. I bet you anything. If you gave Christian Harris five carries when he came back, and you gave Rex Burkhead five carries, I bet you he would have within one yard. Within at least at worst case within one yard. At best case, he would have more yards than Rex Burkhead.
0: Seriously. I I can't disagree would with you. you take on the bet? Yeah. No, because I agree with you. I think he would surpass Burkhead, and I think he would find a way to get additional yards. So he
1: might be able to play receiver too. He played some receiver. You think he could beat out Conley? Just let him
0: play Iron Man. Just don't come off the field. Just stay out there the entire time. Special teams, offense, defense. But no, he's eligible to return to practice. I think twenty-one days. After going on the IR, so after the third game, he would be eligible to return to practice and then eligible to be back on the 53-man roster after four weeks. As for where he's at in the rehab and coming back from the quad injury, that I have not heard. I haven't really asked around either, but we'll, I'm sure we'll all find out come— He'll be back.
1: We need Wallow and we need Christian Harris.
0: Well, yeah, you definitely need Wallow now because Pierre Lewis is back on the IR— you can't stay healthy more than two or three games a season. So, you definitely need Wallow. Hopefully he's ready to go and then hopefully Harris will be back towards towards the end of the season cuz I'm curious to see if he can handle uh coverage a little bit better than Kamu instead of and Kamu getting getting and, uh, and,
1: uh, and pass protection running back. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness. I'm going to start a
1: Christian Harris should get carries uh, thing. If, if they keep this crap up, I'm really going to start a Christian Harris should get carries thing. I'm going to put up his high school tape because he was a man among boys as a, as a running back. And I'm just going to, I'm going to start like a Christian Harris deserves carries. And you know how our listeners are, uh, you know how our listeners are. Yeah. They will be on board with this.
0: Our appeal specialist hashtag. Um, Logan, I know you're asking about free agency next offseason. It's just too early in the process to even kind of really think about what moves the team could do in free agency next year. we got to see who makes it through this year healthy and who performs and see where the holes build up in the roster towards the end of the season. So that that would be a, a, a good question to dive into once we get past the end of the regular Steve, season. you didn't even have to read that.
1: I did read, read it.
0: All right. Texan Tears. So if we win against Chicago but Mills is bad, should the team look to Allen to salvage the possible record? Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Should they look to Allen? I mean, do
1: they do they like him more than Driscoll because they're they're willing to make him inactive so that like are we sure that it would be Allen? I don't Look, I think, I think if they if they but, get I mean, the win, I
0: think if they get the win and Mills is still bad, I don't think that I don't think they would care. I think they would just view it as the team got a win, and they're going to stick with Mills till the till there's absolutely yeah. no reason to not yeah. deal with him I,
1: it's Mills or bust. It's yeah. Mills or bust. But if if they did need to play their backup, are we sure that it would be Allen?
0: <sighs> Shit, we'll see. we'll see. Ooh, Cap said
1: the first cuss word. <sighs>
0: We'll see. I don't, I don't understand that. Cap said the first cuss word. I don't understand that. I don't understand having your your number two quarterback inactive so that you can have hashtag RPO specialist Jeff Driscoll available to run two option plays per game. I don't get that, but I I think, like you said, it's Mills or Bust. Even before the season started, everybody including myself, was saying you've got to do a full evaluation on Mills. And I think him being so bad the last six quarters, fans are already ready to, not fans, because that kind of groups everybody together, a segment of the fan base is ready to to get rid of Mills. I'm not. Just continue the, evalu- the evaluation and, and see where it leads you later in the year. Let's see. Is there any other questions? No. All right, so. Oh, wait, we got a request here. Richard, all right. Sending speaking rights to Richard. Go ahead and take yourself off mute, Richard. Uh,
1: Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey. Uh, So uh, my question was going to be about Lovey Smith. Um, I know we're only like two games in, but I wanted to get you guys' opinion on his ability to wear the two caps as a head coach and our defensive coordinator, uh, especially like compared to like Bill O'Brien or even, you know, that's a bad example, of course. But, um, as opposed to like some of these other offensive minded coaches out there in the league that are wearing two hats as well. So I'll uh, turn off.
0: mic and listen to your opinion on that. Okay. Um, I mean, in the preseason, he showed very strong capabilities of game management and, uh, game management, especially managing timeouts late in the game, late in the first half. So hopefully he can continue that. He seems to be, for the most part, be able to manage that. He did have the one little blip where he decided not to take the penalty on third down and, and left Denver on the field, I think, with like a fourth and two, fourth and three, and then Denver ended up going for it. I don't know if I would have taken the, the hold in building myself. But, of course, that's a little hindsight. But he hasn't shown that he can't do it so far so we'll we'll just have to kind of evaluate that as the season goes on if he can if he can manage that manage the game versus and manage playing his defense so i don't know landry you have any thoughts on that
1: i mean i think he's done good with it so far i'm not worried about the too many hats thing quite honestly the only time the too many hats is a problem is when the guy sucks at what he does like that nobody's complaining about sean mcveigh uh, wearing two hats or Andy Reed wearing two hats or, you know, the list could go on and on. It, it's the only time that that's a problem is when you suck. Like it, it's a problem for uh, Jason Garrett with the Dallas Cowboys. It's a problem for Bill O'Brien uh, with the Texans. It's a problem for Tom Herman at the University of Texas. Like it's a problem when you suck at calling plays. That's the only time it's a problem. Lovey's done a good job of calling defense. So no, I don't think it's a problem at all.
0: Yeah. I appreciate the question, Richard. Thanks for listening. And then uh just sent speaking rights out to uh, Mana.
2: Hey hey
0: um
2: thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh I just wanted to say about your um about your comment on Driscoll. I think I think the Texans are, are using him kind of like how they used Joe Webb a few years ago, having a kind of a gadget quarterback running these gadget plays. Yeah, but
0: Joe stuff. Webb could play special teams and wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> did you did
2: you not know Driscoll's a part part-time tight end and does play special teams? I heard something about teams. that, yeah. <laughs> um my my question was uh, do you think if the Texans continue to lose they start to off maybe try to offload some guys maybe like Tunsil. Um, I know there's not much cap space that you would get by trading him, but then that might add additional value to maybe a You know, a team that doesn't have much cap space for them to make an end-season trade to, you know, maybe bolster up their O-line or something. But I'll hang up and listen.
1: I think I think that would have to be there'd have to be an injury for that to happen, like an emergency where you know someone loses their tackle and then they want Tunsil. I don't I don't think I don't know how many teams want Tunsil at this point. Uh, Just you know. Because if they wanted him, they probably would have got him earlier. I think there would have to be like some sort of significant injury uh, on a contending team. And then that's that's where I could see Tunsil or someone else traded. I don't even know who else would
0: have Yeah, I was going to say, I don't really see anybody else veteran-wise on this roster. Unless,
1: unless, they, unless they get to a point where, like let's say, they start out 0-6 or whatever, and they decide to do a Mark Ingram favor for like, Jerry Hughes or someone like that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but it, yeah, that... Yeah, that's about all I could see. Uh, there's really, unfortunately, there's really no other veterans on this team that would be worth anything more than a sixth or a seventh at most beyond Tunzel and and Cooks. And I don't think their team, I don't think they're going to be willing to trade Tunzel even if they'd have to just get a, a ridiculous offer from like like Landry said that somebody's in dire straits and loses their left tackle and they're in the playoff hunt, Super Bowl contender type thing. But I'm not entirely sure they would even entertain a trade unless it was just some ridiculous offer that they couldn't turn down. So I think it's going to be more a decision of how they handle the Tunsil situation in the offseason because they, they can't go into next year with him having a salary cap of $35 million salary cap charge because they keep shoving all that money into the last year or so. Next year, they're either going to have to extend him or trade him, one of the two. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I think that's about all the questions. Oh, there's another one. Why is Wallow not playing still hurt? Why is not playing still hurt? That's a weird weird way to word that question, HT. I'm not am really, not really sure I understand that one. So... We'll see what happens with Walla. Hopefully, he's back this week. Um, I didn't really... I didn't see his name. Was his name on the injury report today, Landry? Did you happen to notice? Walla? Uh,
1: I didn't notice. I noticed Davis Mills on there. Maybe Wallow's
0: just healthy. Because, yeah, he's not on the injury was, report at all.
1: I was making a life... I was, I was having a big uh, life moment today uh, when the yeah. injury report dropped. What's that? I... Uh, I switched over to T Mobile. I got a plan with my girl, dude, and I'm I'm T Mobile now. I've been AT&T for a while. I'm
0: look at I'm you T-Mobile. growing up having a well, couples decision like that.
1: And I finally getting a new phone. You, you know what phone I have right now? It's in perfect condition. Flip you will phone. not believe this. Flip phone. Not have a flip phone. Come on. It's iPhone <laughs> only. But guess guess what number iPhone I have.
0: Oh let's here eight or nine or ten you're eight yeah
1: eight plus eight plus
0: you're gonna you're gonna freak (laughs) out when you get your new phone i know
1: man it's almost like i got locked in the pen and then i'm trying to have to figure stuff out but i had a it's biggie and lopez make fun of me all the time it's gonna be sick because i'm gonna be able to the youtube's gonna be stronger i'm gonna have the by the way I, i didn't mention this Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Landry Locker. Come on! You have to get a you have to get a
0: thousand subscribers before you can go live from your your mobile app.
1: Okay, that's the rule. Yeah. Okay, well then I need people to subscribe. I need yeah. you to subscribe, Landry Locker, YouTube. I will put out content every day. I interact on there. It's fun. We're gonna do a post game show every Sunday. I need you to subscribe. Landry Locker on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, I saw you and Stoots
0: and and Mike on the post game show last weekend. Yeah, that was Mike good. looked
1: like that. Mike looked like he was in damn witness protection with yeah. how dark it was.
0: Well, him and Stoots both. Stoots was working in the dark.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's because Stoots likes to
0: freaky you know, <laughs> <to> weirdo. <laughs> well, congratulations on getting coming up to the new ages into the to the new decade of getting you a new phone. So, big dude yeah, you're you're gonna get all crazy. I think I'm probably gonna get a new phone later this year. I have an 11 11 pro, so' we'll, I've been three years on mine. And I can't say I'm the six year run like you, but you know but no, I think that's uh, I think that about covers it for me. Did you have any other areas of discussion?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is going to be an interesting game. I think that the Bears' offense uh, is not as bad as we think it is, uh, and and I think they're going to be they're going to be very very intrigued by seeing a Texans defense and not having to go against San Fran and Green Bay's D. Uh, although I do wonder if they're going to do what they can do best, which is run the ball, uh, because they seem mm-hmm. to be at least talking about trying to get Mooney uh, more touches. But, you know, we'll uh, we'll see. But I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, I think the Texans have a chance uh, for sure, and I think it's a must win.
0: Who's their number one wide receiver over there? Mooney. Mooney.
1: Although Mooney only has like one or two catches.
0: So they got Byron Pringle, David Montgomery. Oh, he's a wide receiver. Aquinas St. Brown's got the most targets. He was an yep. undrafted guy. Played for Dante Pettis. Oosh, I thought we had a bad wide receiver room. This is much worse. Yeah, Darnell Mooney, five targets, two receptions for four yards. Yeah, it's not great. That is not great. Not good. So, yeah, we'll see if they end up shadowing him with uh, Stingley or if uh, Stingley and Nelson just hang out on their side of the field until somebody on Chicago's wide receiver crew asserts their dominance. And then maybe Stingley will start following him around. So, you know, but David Montgomery is a very good running back. I think that's going to be their, they're their kind of the same thing. I think they're going to try to establish a run game. So we'll see. I think, I think both. Being both the run bad bad run defense on both sides of the ball is going to play a factor in this. So I don't I haven't even looked at the weather to see what it was going to, what it's going to it's look gonna be. Like
1: nice, it's gonna be nice.
0: It's gonna be nice in Chicago. That's good. Yep. Okay. Nice. Alrighty. Well, I think that'll be about it.
1: All right, Cap. I'll let you go to bed, dude.
0: I'm good, actually, man. I'm good. All right. I yeah, I'm good. Um. No, I, I appreciate everybody listening in thanks for for joining us taking some time out of your evening to, to listen to uh, Landry and myself chop this up a little bit. we'll get this redistributed out as a podcast hopefully by tomorrow night tomorrow evening to all your favorite listening platforms don't don't forget can uh, subscribe to Landry's YouTube channel at the yep, lo- yep. the locker room and uh man. you can uh sub to my newsletter on cap and trade on yes, substack sir. if you want to do some reading instead of video work and uh with that i think we will call it a night and shut it down and i appreciate everybody and have a good night thank you landry all right man have a good one